This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, where you can meet like-minded people fighting for a new vision of aging. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Do the charities you support actually make change for the better? Charity Intelligence is out with its list of top impact charities. And how failure gave way to breakthroughs. I talked to Terry O'Reilly about his latest book. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The 50-plus population's contribution to global gross domestic product is expected to more than double over the next 30 years, with significant growth occurring throughout this decade. This, according to AARP's new Global Longevity Economy Outlook. Despite comprising only 24% of the world population in 2020, people aged 50 and older accounted for about 34% of global GDP, and that's about $45 trillion. This is expected to grow to 39% of global GDP by 2050. Women who are single for most of their lives are better prepared on average for retirement than women who spent most of their time married. A new study by Boston College's Center for Retirement Studies Research also found women boomers are doing as well or better than boomer men who took a bigger financial hit from the Great Recession. But there remains a gap in earnings with men, and caregiving responsibilities continue to fall disproportionately on women. French activist and former actress Brigitte Bardot is condemning a Montreal suburb's controversial plan to kill most of the deer living in a local park. Bardot published a letter asking Longueuil, Quebec's mayor, Catherine Fournier, to stop what Bardot described as the planned crossbow slaughter in Michel Chartrand Park. Officials in Longueuil have been trying to cull the expanding white-tailed deer population for years, but have faced strong backlash. The city says there are nearly 10 times as many deer as the park can comfortably support. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos plans to give away the majority of his $124 billion net worth during his lifetime, devoting the bulk to fighting climate change and supporting people who can unify in the face of deep social and political divisions. It's the first time the 58-year-old billionaire has announced plans to give away most of his money, despite being the fourth wealthiest person in the world, according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index. Bezos has refrained from setting a target amount, and critics have scolded him for not signing the giving pledge, a promise by hundreds of the world's richest people, to donate the majority of their wealth to charitable causes. 
The Leaning Tower of Pisa is one of 35 monuments and city halls around the world that will light up on November 30th to raise awareness for stomach cancer. The initiative comes from Teresa Tiano, a Canadian woman who lost her stomach to cancer a decade ago and has had four more cancers since. Stomach cancer is the world's sixth most common cancer and the world's fourth leading cause of cancer death. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Last year, Canadians donated $18 billion to charity, and this is the time of year when many of us plan our year-end giving. How can you know if the causes you support are actually making a difference? Charity Intelligence is out with its annual ranking of the organizations that make the biggest impact for every dollar donated. I spoke with Greg Thompson. What we call impact is taking a look at the, the value that charities create by, by changing people's lives. So, and every charity says that they, they make a difference. And so what we do is we, we measure the difference that they make in, in people's lives and uh, in society in general. And we put a, we put a dollar value on all of the, the change that they make and, and figure out for every dollar that the charity spends, how much, how much value do they create? And the top impact charities are the ones that create, uh, that create the most value per dollar given. How would you measure an impact? What's an impact in concrete terms? So, for instance, uh, so you know, against Malaria Foundation is one of our one of our top ten, and you know they distribute bed nets to to folks in sub-Saharan Africa, and uh, they stop the uh, mostly primarily kids from getting malaria. So, you know, for two dollars and fifty cents, they can distribute a bed net, and for every fifty to a thousand bed nets that they give out, they save a life. So, you know, very cost effectively, they're they're saving lives, and so that's you know, that's sort of at the at the heart of it. How we how we do it. There's a Calgary Food Bank on that top ten list. How would that Calgary Food Bank have more impact, say, than a Toronto Food Bank Daily Bread Food Bank? In what way? So- when we look at food banks, I mean, there's there's a, a few things that come into play, but probably the most uh, the most important one is how much food they're they're delivering per dollar uh, of their operations. So, um, you know, Calgary Food Bank is is uh, you know a relatively large uh, uh, food bank, and so they're 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 supplying a whole lot of food to a whole lot of uh, people and organizations in uh, in the Calgary area. Uh, and they're able to do it very cost effectively. So, you know, relating that to to other other food banks, uh, it's it's you know the, the primary driver is the the amount of food that they can they can distribute per per dollar spent. It's interesting. You say that people should not donate based on the reputation of a charity, and that up to forty percent of donations may be wasted. People give for all sorts of different reasons, and and the reputation of charities is one of them, and and overhead costs is another one. Um, but you know, we believe that the the most important thing uh, that people that donors should consider is how much change the charity is making per dollar, because that's really what what it what it comes down to. If you're if you're giving to make the most impact with your with your dollar, you want to understand what the what the nature of that dollar is. And so, you know, when we say up to forty percent of donations may be wasted, you know, some charities some charities are literally taking in a dollar and creating less than a dollar worth of 
social value. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's you know definitely definitely some some wastage of your donation there because they're effectively destroying value. Um, but also, you know, if you're giving to a charity that creates one dollar of value for every dollar that it gets, and you could be giving to a charity that get that creates three or four dollars worth of value, there's a whole lot of wastage there too. So, you know, we we urge donors to to look for those charities that are creating the most impact. What are the pitfalls of selecting a charity based on reputation? The reason that some charities have have strong reputations is that they spend a heck of a lot of money on advertising just to make sure that everybody knows their name and everybody you know uh, you know believes that they they are doing a good job because you know everybody knows their name and that's not necessarily not necessarily the the case that they're that they're doing the most with uh, the money that's given to them um, and in fact you know the fact that they're spending so much money just on their reputation and getting their name out there uh, is you know one indicator that uh, that likely they're they're maybe not as as effective in doing what they're supposed to be doing they would generally argue that uh, you have to spend money to make money absolutely and 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 so I mean you know we have nothing against overhead costs and nothing against fundraising costs you do need to spend some money to, to make money uh, but you know when it comes to fundraising costs, do you need to spend twenty cents on the dollar, or do you need to spend forty cents on the dollar? And some of the you know, some of the large health charities that everybody knows their names of spend forty cents on the dollar in terms of uh, overall uh, overhead costs. And so it's tough to it's tough to have a significant impact with the, the remaining sixty cents on that dollar. Do you have benchmarks for what those numbers should be? I mean, Revenue Canada, for instance, has a benchmark. Um, I think the last time I looked, it was about. 30, uh, 33% for costs. Do you have anything like that? And what do you think about the uh, Canada Revenue Agency benchmark? There's no real, there's no cutoff necessarily. I mean, we do have, you know, if it's above 35% on total overhead costs, we'll you know, flag that and the charity will lose a few points on on one of the metrics that we've got. Um, but we do have some of, you know, some top impact charities are spending more than that on, on overhead. So, you know, it, it is certainly possible to be very effective and still spend a, a bunch on, on overhead. So, you know, overhead can be a a potential indicator, but we—it's not—it's uh, not our main criterion. And what are the top sectors that people donate to? Health is one that uh, takes in takes in a lot of uh, money. So there's you know, there's general health charities, there's there's hospital foundations, um, and they take in a fairly significant amount. Religious charities take in a, a fairly significant amount. We don't rate very many religious charities on our on our website. We're looking to to you know, look at uh, the ones that are you know doing social services and and international aid uh, type programs mostly. Um, but uh, you know, most folks, a lot of folks that come to our website at Charity Intelligence are looking at international aid charities as well, because that's uh, a sector where there's there's a lot of charities, and and people often don't know uh, much about the difference between them. Really, the the most important thing, if you're if you really want to have the most impact with your dollar, is to look at those charities that that are really changing lives, and you know that have information, you know, data to to allow you to understand that they are changing lives. And on our website, we've got uh, I've got our lists of top top impact charities that are that are doing just that. Greg Thompson, thank you so much. Thanks very much, Libby. That was Greg Thompson of Charity Intelligence. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, how failure can lead to a breakthrough. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review. Brought to you by CARP, fighting for financial security for our seniors. Find out more at carp.ca. 
given that failure can lead to dramatic life changes, and sometimes those changes can be positive. Radio host and prolific author Terry O'Reilly recounts how some of the biggest breakthroughs and best-loved products originated with a mistake. I talked to him about his new book, My Best Mistake, Epic Fails and Silver Linings. What I wanted to do in this book was to really chase down big mistakes people have made. In other words, I, I would say the heart of the book is people who made catastrophic career decisions where they, you know, they lost their revenue, they lost their livelihood, they lost their credibility, but it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to them. And I was always fascinated by how people get through that. And you also look at some kind of small mistakes that also led to very good things. Yeah. So the other the other part of the book is a, is a small mistake that was almost overlooked or insignificant, and that ended up turning somebody's life upside down and, and ended up being, again, the best thing that ever happened to them. So let's uh, get to some of the details. The first thing that you talk about is Steven Spielberg's Jaws. So Spielberg at that time was a 28-year-old young director looking for his first big break, and he gets a chance to direct Jaws, which was a best-selling book at the time. And because he was such a young uh, director with full of bravado, he decided he wanted to shoot with a full-sized animatronic shark rather than miniatures, and he wanted to shoot it in the ocean rather than in a tank. So he managed to find someone who could build three animatronic sharks because they had to all do different functions for him. He went out to Martha's Vineyard to shoot the film. They put the shark in the water and it sinks to the bottom and malfunctions immediately and they can't get it to work. So you have to imagine what he was going through. His first big film, he's on location with his crew, with his cast, and the star of the movie, the shark, is completely malfunctioning. So he sits in his hotel room one night panicking in the dark, and then he asks himself one question, and the question is, what would Hitchcock do? And when he reframed it in that, in that way, he realized something, and that was that what we can't see is the most terrifying thing of all. So he quickly rewrote the whole script, Libby, to not show the shark. And that really was the best part of that movie. The reason the mistake was made was he never tested the animatronic shark in salt water. Huh. That was the mistake. He tested it in Hollywood in a freshwater tank. And that was the mistake he made. But he was able to find what I always say is the hidden gift in a huge mistake. And that was don't show the shark. There's an interesting story involving an adultery. Well, you know, I... Um, I did a lot of work over the years with Danny Doherty, who was, of course, one of the lead singers of the Mamas and the Papas. And he told me a story one day about a, a song called I, I Saw Her Again, which is one of their biggest hits. There's a moment in that song, Denny, where you sing, you stop, and then you go again. I said, was that intentional? He said, no, that was a complete mistake. I came in on the wrong beat, and after I finished the vocal, I said to John Phillips, and and uh, the other producer, don't, I'm sorry about that. I'll I'll resing it. And they said, no, that's my favorite part. What John Phillips was really doing there was he was trying to send Denny a message because that song is about sneaking around to see somebody you shouldn't be seeing. And Who John was? Phillips, yeah, and John Phillips had found out that Denny was having an affair with Michelle Phillips, his wife. <laughs> so he made Denny sing that song 
and just glared at him through the glass, waiting for him to get the message. What about a situation where a small mistake led to something? Stan Lee, when he created the Hulk character, they wanted it to they wanted Hulk to be an, uh, um, a non-human color because he was sort of like a monster. So they wanted to uh, make him gray. So when the comic was first printed, the first issue came back to Stan Lee, and he was looking at it, and almost every page, the Hulk was a different color. He was black, and then he was light gray, and then he was dark gray, and then he was almost white. And he said to the printer, what's going on? And the printer said, gray is just one of the most difficult colors to stay consistent, and we're always going to have this problem. In that moment, Stan Lee just thought, okay, let's make him green. And in that moment, the Hulk became green, which became, of course, a huge part of its persona going forward. And it was all based on the printer's mistake, not being able to be consistent with the color gray. What do you hope that uh, the rest of us will take away from this? The message in the book for me is that there's two kinds of people in the world. There's when, when a huge mistake happens that you are responsible for, you have created this mistake in your life, you've pulled a thread and your whole life has come apart, is that some people run away and, and abandon their dreams and, and disappear into the ether. And then there's the other people who muscle their way through it that realize that the only way out is through. And I really believe if you peel a mistake like a banana that there is a hidden gift waiting at the center of the mistake, if you're patient enough to find it. Terry O'Reilly, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Libby. That was Terry O'Reilly, author of My Best Mistake, Epic Fails and Silver Linings. It was a finalist for this year's Business Book Award. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.